Section 7 of Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in January 2022. Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. An Authentic Record of Remarkable Cases by John B. Lewis and Charles C. Bombaw. Speculative Insurance, Part 2. The Pennsylvania Graveyard Epidemic. The Pennsylvania cooperatives, which for a period of several months in 1880 confined their infamous traffic in human life to portions of Lebanon, Berks, Montgomery, York, and Luzerne counties, were emboldened by a mania for speculation to enlarge the area of their operations until public attention at last became aroused to the facilities and incentives they offered for the commission of crime. To give the public definite ideas of the freedom and latitude allowed to the deviltry which these concerns created and fostered, the Philadelphia newspapers published lists and particulars of cases of speculative insurance, furnished by trustworthy reporters and correspondents. Some of them disclose mere purpose to defraud by gambling on the lives of consumptives, or octogenarians, or tramps, or paupers. Others reveal deliberate conspiracy to hasten their claim to maturity by murder. An instance of the former was that of Mrs. Emma Reinhardt in Amity Township, Berks County, while staying in her father's house. She had been living with her husband near Phoenixville for some time, but when in the last stage of consumption she returned to her father's home and there died. It was then learned that her life had been insured to the amount of $26,000 in various cooperatives, the policies being mostly in favor of one Samuel Shirey, a first cousin of the woman, a person who had no more insurable interest in her life than the man in the moon. She was passed by the examiners, who were either quacks of the lowest grade or despicable scoundrels, and accepted as a sound risk. Another example was that of Daniel L. Wagner of Burnville, 15 miles from Reading. This man, a farmer, 71 years of age, had been delibitated by chronic diarrhea, for which he had been under treatment for months, and while lying insensible under an apoplectic seizure, a rascally representative of some of the cooperatives tempted his son into consent to the issue of certificates upon the life of the dying man, upon promise of a handsome divvy. After the latter's death, it was discovered that some of the certificates had been altered, hundreds being changed to thousands, until they called for an aggregate of £15,000. Mrs. Mary Fry of Donnelly's Mills, Perry County, Pennsylvania, aged 63, died November 10, 1888, of disease of the heart and general dropsy. She had been confined to her bed during the last year of her life, and her suffering was so great as to attract the sympathy of the neighborhood. Within five months of her death, her son, Samuel S. Fry, without her knowledge and consent, obtained certificates of insurance on her life to the amount of $27,500 in 12 assessment companies. 
Presentation of the claims led to investigation and subsequent discovery of the fraud. Fry was indicted for perjury in making the affidavits accompanying the proofs of loss. The grand jury ignored the bill on the assumption that there was no legal perjury in making out the proofs of death, whatever moral perjury there might have been in the transaction. The scoundrelly son, who was thus anxious to gamble upon the lingering remnant of his mother's life as she lay upon her deathbed, was assisted in his villainy by the local physician, the local preacher, and other village magnates. It was a sad story of utter insensibility to the sacredness of family ties, not only on the part of men fitted by nature and training for the penitentiary, but among a class to whom society had a right to look for better example. An illustration of the darker side of the picture is furnished in the case of Martin Callahan, a poor miner in the neighborhood of Scranton. He was seventy years of age, lived in great poverty with his family, and nine days after he was insured for one thousand dollars, he was a corpse. Suspicion led to exhumation of the body, and a post-mortem examination gave evidence of a blow upon the head by a blunt instrument sufficient to cause death, coupled with signs of a fierce struggle. More brutal and more tragic was the murder of Joseph Raber, a feeble old man who lived among the wood choppers and the charcoal burners of the primitive forests of Lebanon County. Half a dozen of his neighbors, ruffianly and semi-civilized wretches, after selecting him as a victim, effected an insurance of $30,000 through an innkeeper named Brandt. On completing their arrangements, they decoyed him to a plank over a small and narrow stream not more than twenty inches deep, tripped him over into the water, and then jumped upon him and pressed him down until he was drowned. Their names were Henry Wise, Israel Brandt, Isaiah Hummel, Charles Drews, Frank Steckler and George Zeckman. The crime was discovered, and the assassins were brought to trial and convicted, the testimony for the prosecution being sustained by the confession of Drews and Steckler. All of them were executed, except Zeckman. The disclosures of this scandalous roguery showed that in some cases paupers were insured to the amount of $60,000 or $80,000, the drunkards were insured for large sums, and then supplied with rum enough to kill them. The dying men and women were passed as good risks by collusive agents and examiners, and the policies were put upon the market by desperate gamblers anxious to realize money before the call upon the undertaker. In brief, that the worst forms of wagering in the history of gambling insurance were carried to an extent never before attempted. Whenever the doomed wretches lingered for an inconvenient length of time, they were in danger of assassination by the impatient vampires. As no insurable interest was required, no one's life was safe. The fact that it was possible to perpetrate such frauds with temporary success and impunity is surprising enough. But the other fact that under such a system it was not only not for the interest of the officers of the companies to ferret out such villainy and crush it, but that it might be made to increase their own emoluments by adding to the expense funds of the companies was yet more startling. 
that thousands of members might be made to contribute to the payment of large policies, only a small portion of which went to the family of the deceased, while the lion's share went to unprincipled speculators, showed the rottenness of the system itself. Conversations, like the following, at Pottstown, were frequently reported. Do you want to put yourself on your feet? I'd like to, if I only knew how. I'll tell you. There's old man Richardson. He'll die soon. He can't last three months anyhow. Now, if you want a $2,000 policy on him, I'll let you have it. Make up your mind soon, for the old man is as likely to go off in a couple of days as in three months. And letters like this are still preserved as memorials of this dark period. Dear blank, I have just got old Mr. and Mrs. Blanks insured. He is 74 and she is 73. Will you join me in paying assessments? If you will, write me immediately and I will get the assessments fixed. The old lady will never go out of doors again. These transactions were usually traced directly to the agents and solicitors. There is no question as to the blameworthiness of a large number of this class. The hideous revelations that were made fastened more especially upon them the stigma of playing with this sort of loaded dice. Nevertheless, these miscreants were indirectly, if not directly, assisted and reinforced by the loose practices of the Home Office, its easy acquiescence and uninquisitiveness, and its stubborn disregard of the interest required to sustain a contract. If the officers and directors were not directly chargeable, so far as known, with consent or connivance in this criminal traffic, they were guilty of a form of thievery which ought to have condemned them to penal servitude. By levying excessive and fraudulent assessments, they were enabled to coin money to an extent which, in some cases, is almost incredible. Speaking of the rings which grew rich in this way, a Lebanon newspaper correspondent said, Directorship in a company of this character would not be supposed to be much more than an honorary position, but it is, in this neighborhood at least. The Home Mutual Life Association, one of the companies which has been operated upon by the Reading and Potsdam Ringsters, has its head offices in this place. It does not publish a list of its directors, and there are hundreds of its policyholders who know no more concerning the identity of the parties who are to sit in judgment upon their risks when they have given up the ghost than they know about the man in the moon. Such individuals may now learn, for the first time, that one of the directors is Joseph Kraus, who a year and a half ago purchased his seat from D.J. Thompson for $1,500. That another is E.D. Kroll, who bought P.F. Macaulay's place this past summer for $2,500 or thereabouts. And that another is Grant Whiteman, who put up a similar sum when C.H. Killinger ceased to be a director not many months ago. Not much more than a year before, Killinger had bought his seat for from $1,200 to $1,500 from Ezekiel Wright the present actuary of this corporation. It would be interesting to learn the circumstances which caused this position to double its value within the period specified. 
but you can't buy a seat in the Union Beneficial Mutual Aid Society, which also has its headquarters here. Reason why? Seats are not for sale. The last transaction of the kind which can be traced in connection with this corporation occurred in 1876, when Ezekiel Wright, before mentioned, vacated his seat in favor of J.B. Hirsch for a consideration which, so far as folks can remember after this lapse of time, was between $3,000 and $5,000. Today, no director, it is said, would give up his seat for double the latter amount. How much is a seat worth anyhow? I asked a responsible resident today, and the answer came, Put it at $15,000 and you will have it near the mark. The UBMAS is what you would call a close corporation. Few of its directors die and none resign. They elect all the officers, save actuary, medical examiner and solicitor, from among themselves and they fill all vacancies caused by death. Hence, the board is self-perpetual. But success sometimes emboldens gamesters to more desperate ventures. The greed of these Pennsylvania raiders turned their attention to the accumulated reserves of the regular life companies. A noteworthy example occurred in Selinsgrove, Snyder County, where the swindlers selected a cautious and conservative company, the Mutual Benefit Life of Newark, New Jersey, as presenting a larger field of operation, financially, for their traffic in human life. Two applications were made to the company for policies of $10,000 each upon the lives of two residents of Snyder County. The applications were regular, disclosing no disqualifications, and the blanks were filled out by the agent and medical examiners. The company in due time passed upon the risks, wrote the policies, issued them, and received the premiums on account of them. A short time afterwards, suspicion was aroused, and the company sent, according to its custom, an inspector to investigate the matter. Imagine his surprise on finding that the persons insured were not only not the sound, healthy risks represented, but each of them of the very worst sort, with one foot already in the grave and the other trembling on its verge. One of the policies was found to be upon the life of a man in the last stages of consumption, and the other upon that of a party suffering from an aggravated type of kidney disease. Both were certain to die speedily, and the arrangements for the division of the $20,000 of which the company was to be defrauded were all perfected. The alarming feature of the discovery was that the gamblers were gentlemen of high repute and physicians of good standing in the company. The astonishment and dismay that followed led to extended investigation. Case after case was ferreted out. In some localities it was found that a fierce desire for this form of speculative insurance upon the aged and dying had invaded all orders and conditions of society, until the infection rendered the public dumb to the enormity and the baneful and corrupting influence of a scheme in furtherance of which all classes, merchants, mechanics, farmers, professional men, held wagering policies, and frauds of the most outrageous character were conducted and encouraged as warrantable matter of speculation.
the authorities were strangely tardy in responding to a growing and earnest demand for suppression. More than 200 of the death-rattle cooperatives, as they were called, had actively organized for this cold-blooded and disgraceful traffic in human blood before the insurance commissioner of the state, the attorney general, and the courts commenced the work of extermination. Retributive blows finally drove the ghouls into exile, but with characteristic defiance they resumed their mercenary operations in adjacent states. A chronicler of the period remarked that the professional confidence operators, banco men, sawdust swindlers, shovers of the queer, and the fraternity of adventurers generally appeared to have discovered that the assessment insurance game paid better than any other at the time, and to have gone, all over the country, into the cooperative business. They were most offensively demonstrative in Maryland, Ohio, and Indiana, and in Fall River and New Bedford, Massachusetts. But sooner or later they were confronted with legislation outlawing them and imposing severe penalties, with interference of the post office authorities with their misuse of the mails, and with checkmating by courts of justice. End of section 7